Welcome friends. We are your hosts, Sandy and Wade, baby best friends turned husband and wife and business partners. This podcast is for the dreamers, the movers and shakers, and those who seek to attract their dream life. Strap in, getting magnetic in three, two, one. Like attracts like. If you see it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. You just decide what it's going to be, who you're going to be, how you're going to do it. And then from that point, the universe is going to get out your way. This moment in time, this is your time to rise. I am so excited to dive into today's topic. Have you ever heard or do you know much about Enneagrams? Because that's what we're going to dive into today. This is going to blow your mind. It's so fascinating. So let's peel back. Yeah. We're excited to welcome on our friend, Sarah Snow. She is an Enneagram expert and coach. She's going to dive into what is Enneagram, why utilize it, how to utilize it for you. And we're going to dive into which Enneagram types Sandy and I are. So I think this is something super helpful to get to know yourself better, but also your partner or your teammates, or people at work, or people in your life. So super, super beneficial. We're really excited to get into today's episode. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. You are here on the Getting Magnetic show today with your co-hosts. Sandy and Wade. Sandy and Wade. And we are excited to have our guest on today. Sarah Snow is someone we've gotten to know more recently through mutual friends, circle of friends. She is amazing. And I got a little background on her. I got to read. I got to brag about her for a second. Sarah is an Emmy award-winning documentary producer and TV host, as well as an author, international public speaker, and certified natural health specialist. For the last decade, Sarah's taught millions how to live a healthier, more natural life. And in the last few years, she applied her knowledge and passion for healthy living to become a certified health coach, life coach, and Enneagram coach, and now works with individuals and groups around the country to help them step into a life of greater health and purpose. Oh my gosh, that resonates with us so much. (laughs) Welcome to Getting Magnetic, Sarah. Uh, Thanks. I'm so happy to be here, you guys. We're so happy to have you. Before we kind of dive in, I always love asking guests, what does Getting Magnetic mean to you? Ooh, I think it's about attracting because once you become magnetic, then things attract to you. So I think it's about finding ways to, it's almost like becoming attractive, right? So that things are drawn, people are drawn, opportunities are drawn to you. I like that. I love that. Cool. Well, we have just so loved getting to know you. And what we got to do was work with you to do our Enneagram test. And a lot of people listening may have never heard of an Enneagram. Maybe you don't know what it is, but I would love to kind of dive a little bit into that and how you got into this and just tell us a little bit of your story and then we'll go through. I know you got mine and Wade's tests and just kind of talk through some of the stuff and I'm excited. It's going to be fun. So my story, you guys touched on my career in television and all of that stuff. And I guess before that, I grew up in this house that was pretty different from most people. My dad was a co-founder of a company called Eden Foods, which is a huge international distributorship for organic and natural products. So he helped define the standards for USDA organic for this country. I was the test kid for the first soy milks that were being developed for this country. I lived in Michigan. We didn't have a furnace. And Michigan winters are like four ever long. We heated with passive solar heat and a wood stove. We grew our own food. I ran barefoot in the forests. Those were our playgrounds. I mean, it was the perfect way to grow up. If I could totally replicate it for my kids, I would. But instead, I went on this career path of television and communication. And I was a news anchor for a while. And then I decided if if I was going to go on TV every day, I would rather talk about things that felt relevant to the people around me and that were important to me and have been important to my family my entire life. So I created the concept for a TV show that was kind of the green Martha Stewart. And the Discovery Networks picked it up right away. I mean, I was just incredibly blessed. I did two different series with the Discovery Networks, had a recurring thing on CNN, shows for the Fine Living Channel, a whole bunch of different networks. I mean, I was just, I was everywhere. I was in the flow. I was magnetic. (laughs) It was good. I wrote a book talking all over the place. It was awesome. And then 
I was traveling also an immense amount of time and struggled with fertility and infertility and unexplained infertility for a gazillion years, for seven years, actually. And then finally realized that I had to slow down. I had to stop getting on airplanes every day. But then how could I keep using this message and this platform and this work to just help people unlock ways to living a healthier life? And so then I I kind of took all of that and did some other work with it, did a ton of spokesperson work for brands, especially big brands as they launched their first natural products, like things like Reynolds Wrap. They did a 100% recycled aluminum foil and I was a spokesperson for that and helped them go to market with it and stuff. So I've done a ton of things, TV, writing, speaking, helping lots of brands launch stuff. And then now I also get to work individually with primarily women, also with couples, And with small groups and I'll assemble small groups and then coach them through using the Enneagram and using all sorts of health tools to just get them on that path to living a a healthier life and one that feels more full of purpose and joy. I am so impressed by you. You just do all the things. (laughs) I, you know, I had, I don't remember if someone told me this or if I just decided to do it on my own, but There's this whole thing about saying no, right? Learn when to say no. And there are times to say no for sure. There are times that we have to say no. But when I was like 22, I decided that the way I was going to roll was I was just going to say yes. So I remember being like 23 years old and I got a call and this person was like, can you line produce a live concert by someone, some artist, some artist. I was living in Indianapolis at the time. Some artist was coming through. I was supposed to line produce it. So it would have been like an audio cast concert. Maybe it was, it was video also, but this was a while ago, you guys. So I'm in my forties. This was like 20 years ago. This was before that sort of thing was happening with concerts. And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that. Sure. And I hung up the phone and I like went straight to my college textbooks and maybe Google to figure out how the hell I was going to do this because I had no idea what the guy was even talking about. But that was the start of it. I was like, if someone offers me an opportunity, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes until it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work for me, then I'm fine saying no. But say yes, just try things. And that's that's kind of what you guys are about too. We are definitely yes people. So I just really resonate with you saying that because I do agree. We have to have boundaries. There's times when you got to be like, I'm not going there. But I just so believe that people and experiences and opportunities don't come into your life by accident. And some of my best friends and some of the most powerful experiences and most beautiful places I've been have all been a result of being a yes girl. Like It's just like one thing leads to the next and just opens so many doors. I think to expand on that too, I made a conscious decision like after college in my 20s. I was like, okay, I see two kind of paths. One lives for experience and says yes to things. And when I, when I say yes, it's more to experience new things and different stuff. The other like kind of saves money and prepares for the future and everything. And I like remember thinking this and I made a conscious decision. I was like, my 20s is going to be for experience. I'm going to say yes to things. If my buddies are like, let's go to Iceland this weekend. I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it. And we did it. And a lot of different things like that. And so by the time I hit late 20s, I'm like, okay, I have lived an amazing 20s last decade. I have so much experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But my savings account isn't very huge. I had a side (laughs) investment account, but I was like, okay, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I think uh, looking back, I'm so grateful for that, that decade and saying yes to everything. And now I'm understanding and realizing, I heard a quote the other day, Sandy and I both heard it. And it was successful people know how to say no. And so I'm like, whoa, okay, well, that's different. And I think it's, it's different, right? Yes to experience, yes to different things, but no to things where your intuition or your gut says, "Mm, that's not something that serves me in my life. They know how to say no. They aren't people pleasers. They know their identity, their morals and what they, what they're moving towards. And they know how to say no. And I'm sure you'll be able to expand on this in our Enneagram conversation. But my next question, what led you into Enneagram, understanding that, like, how'd you get there? Years ago, someone asked me if I knew my type and I was like, oh, I keep hearing about this, but I don't, I don't know my type. I don't think I do. So I probably went home and like found an online test and took it. And I took a test and I will say that I mistyped at the beginning and I'll, I can talk about that a little bit, but I took a test 
And I was like, wow, this is so cool. What an awesome opportunity. And then a few years ago, I was in Paris with my mom and my sister because we do a trip together every year. And I was so excited to have them take it. Like this was my whole thing for our trip was one night we were going to take it. And then they each took theirs. And it's been honestly one of the greatest honors of my life to help people I love understand more about themselves and their communication style and to do better with those things using the Enneagram. So like my sister, for example, she's married to a seven and she's a three and I can talk to her about that and what that means being married to a seven and what it means to be a three and what, what might trip her up as a three and what trips him up as a, as a seven and understanding each other. So I'm a four, my husband is an eight and I'll tell you what each of them mean in a second, but the eight sees in black and white. The eight is like, we'll stand up for the, the little guy and he'll stand up for the wronged person, but he'll like really quickly be like, no, this is wrong. This needs to be fixed. And then he moves on also like for my husband, there's no dwelling, there's no lingering, there's no brooding. He doesn't pout. It's not like that. And then I'm a four and fours are pretty intense. Fours are emotional, but fours strangely come to life when life gets hard. So as a four, people can come to me with all their stuff and it doesn't like drag me down. It doesn't become too much for me. It almost feeds me. It's my greatest, greatest honor to be able to go deep with someone because that's how I connect. As a four, it's all about connections and how can you relate emotionally with someone else. So I do like to say that my husband and I have been married for almost forever. We've been married for almost 20 years, 18 years, something like that. I don't know. And I love him more now that I know his Enneagram type because I understand him so much more. And I find that I'm just, I'm more empathetic. I'm more understanding. And when he responds so differently to something, which of course he's going to do, then I can understand it instead of being annoyed or something like that. I love that. Okay. So in short, for someone that's listening that maybe doesn't know, how would you explain Enneagram? Like what is Enneagram? Okay. So the Enneagram is not a brand new thing. It's been around for thousands of years. They've found things of it from thousands of years ago. It's basically this. It's a circle. There are nine points around the circle that are equidistant from each other. And then there are ways that they connect. There's this triangle in the middle. And then there are these lines that go like that and these lines that go like that, right? So there are nine different types. And the nine types are our core type. And the Enneagram is less about behavior and more about motivation. So it's not like how do you behave? How do you show up in today's world? It's why do you show up that way? And that's where we can grow and learn. So the different types, for example, it's one through nine. One is the perfectionist. So one see all that's wrong in the world and they quickly want to bring order to it. So if something's messy, something's out of order, something's not functioning correctly, they want to fix it. Twos are the helper or the giver. Twos are all those people who they'll bring you a meal when you're sick. They'll rush in to take your kids when something's going on. They're the ones who lean in and help all the time. But twos can get into trouble because they will step in to help when maybe it's not their place to step in and help. So they they trip over themselves. They so desperately want to be the ones to help. And they really, truly think that they are better equipped to help than anyone else. But then they don't give other people the opportunity to help. I know a lot of twos, and that's the growth for twos. So people listening, if you've typed as a two, that's what you have to watch out for. Threes are the achievers. They want the gold star. They're the performers. They're super motivated. They're the ones you want on your team if you're like going for growth because they'll just, they'll work, 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 but they need that gold star. They live and die for that gold star. Fours are the intense creatives. The place where fours get into trouble is they can dwell in melancholy and they want to be different in a way that sometimes gets in the way of just doing the work or just being. But fours are the emotional ones. I already told you a little bit about that. They're romantic. They're artistic. Fives are the observers and the thinkers. So they're a little bit quieter. And this is into the thinking center. So there are also three triads. There's the head, the heart, and the thinking center. Two, three, and four are in the heart center. Five, six, seven are in the thinking center. So the head center and then the gut. 
So fives are the observers, the thinkers. They spend a lot of time watching people and thinking. Sixes are very much like that also. They're cerebral, but they're skeptical. They're the loyal skeptics. So they'll kind of keep you at arm's length for a long time. They see the potential negative in any situation and they want to be ready for it always. Sevens are the epicurious. They're the experiential people. They just want more, more of everything, more experiences, more new foods to try, more places to travel, more companies to start, more, 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 more. So with sevens, it can be gluttony. It's like like that going too far with wanting more, having more instead of just slowing down and they can use it as a numbing agent. We'll go there in a second. Eights are the bosses. They're the leaders. They're the ones who will come out in front. They have no problem stepping into a room and taking charge in the room. Where they get into trouble is that they sometimes speak before they think. And they have to realize that what they're saying and that their words really have an impact on people. So they have to get used to that a little bit. And then nines are the active peacemakers. Nines just want to keep the peace and they'll stay quiet. They'll disappear inside themselves just in the name of keeping the peace in a situation. And of course, obviously that's where they can get into trouble. So interesting. I love understanding this. I think one of the biggest things I've learned as I've gotten older is to really like to live the life that you want to live. You have to understand yourself and, and who you are and your identity is important. And it's not cemented in necessarily, but it's amazing to understand through your life this far, through your experiences, through who you are naturally, like what kind of type are you? Like what makes you tick or not or different things. So I think that's what how I understand Enneagrams in crayon. So why do an Enneagram test? Why understand it? Well so you can't test yourself when you're a kid. Like I I have two kids. They're seven and ten years old and I'm always guessing at what their Enneagram type might be, but I can't type them as a kid. They're not fully formed yet. So you really need to wait until you're fully formed, until you are an adult, you've had experiences. The belief is that we're born with a core type. We're born with some sort of type, but it doesn't cement, it doesn't form until we've had some experiences. And things that go into our type are just the way God made us just the way we're born. Then also there are childhood traumas in everyone's life. There are childhood traumas and it could be trauma with a capital T or it could be teeny tiny traumas like birth order or parents who were more strict than all of your friends' parents were or something that, you know, felt big at the time, but really in the scheme is not big. And then as you get older, there are additional traumas. There are more things that show up. So the beauty in the Enneagram or to answer your question, Wade, on why get tested is it allows you to see what does all of that mean for me? What lens am I looking through as a result of this? And every one of us is showing up in life looking through a different lens. We don't all see things the same way and we don't all hear things the same way. And that is the biggest reason to get tested, to understand how you hear things, how you see things, and the fact that it's different from the next guy. Wow. I love that. Okay. So we did our test and it was sent to you. And can you go over some of that with us? Like tell- Who are we? Yeah. Tell us a little about Sandy and Wade. (laughs) So here's the crazy thing, you guys. I've worked with couples before and an incredible thing can happen as couples start to understand each other more. And they're like, oh, that's why we always get into trouble or into conflict around this topic. Or that's when I suggest a picnic or suggest an audible to the day and it throws her for a total loop. You guys (laughs) tested as the exact same type, not just the same type, but the same subtype. So I explained how there are nine types, right? Within each type, there are three subtypes. There's the self-preservation, which is the SP. There's the SO, which is the social. Self-preservation is focused on how can I feel safe? How can I make sure I can get out of danger at any time? Socials are focused on a group. How can I be a part of groups? How can I lead groups? Very much on that bigger group picture. SXs are called the sexual. It's the one-to-one. It's not always sexual in the sense that we talk about sexual, but it's the one-to-one connection. So SXs are always after what's the juicy thing? What's the next juicy thing? So it's a connection with a new person, or it might be a new opportunity, a job, something like that. So 
you both tested as sevens, but both of you as SX sevens. Immediately after I got your tests, or right when I looked at them anyway, I asked you if you took them together because obviously you lived together and I knew you were you had kind of been waiting to take the assessments. And so I figured you probably sat down together in the evening or the afternoon to take them. So that's why I asked, did you like bounce things off of each other? Did you help answer each other? Tell me about what the experience was like taking the assessment for each of you. So we were sitting next to each other, but we did not take it together. Sandy asked me a few words like, what is this word? Yeah, there was and one I word. I was Google like, what does this word too? mean? And then I was like, <laughs> you know what? If I don't know what the word is, I'm going to say not true because no one's ob- obviously ever told me that because I don't know the word. So there was a couple times I asked him like, what's the definition of this word? So outside of definitions, <laughs> we did not compare anything. We definitely laughed at a few things that were so blatantly not true or true. Yeah. But it was like after we already answered like, it. Like there, there was one that said, I am mild. I was like, very not true. <laughs> I was like, dang, who is saying I am very true to someone but explain me as mild? I was like, oh, yeah, no, man. opposite. Spicy is all hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to answer your, your question, no, we were next to each other. So maybe we were picking up mm-hmm. on each other's energy, but we didn't compare or contrast any answers or anything. How long have you guys been married? Two years, but we've known each other our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Your childhood friends. What was childhood like for each of you? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. We had very different upbringings. Very. Yeah. Sandy grew up out here in Southern California, and I was born out here, and we were actually best friends as babies. Shout out to episode one of our podcast. (laughs) But when I was two, my family moved to the East Coast. So I would say I grew up in in a more, I don't want to say typical, but kind of a Northeast fashion, like, okay, I you kind of go towards, let me go to college and make sure I get educated there. And I pursued my master's degree and played football and was an athlete. And then I went to the corporate world and like, let me climb my way up there. And in a house where my parents were there, most of the time they got separated in my childhood and then came back together and then separated when we were out of the house. So I would say mine was like full of love, but also full of trauma. (laughs) Mm. There was a lot of trauma in my childhood because of my mom's mental health. So answering some of the questions, definitely like, this is like my inner child answering this question, but it's also like, it still resonates with me so much, you know? I think, you know, for me too, Sandy and I have talked about this. She has more apparent trauma in her childhood. I would say I have trauma too, maybe the lowercase t, but I've what I've realized about myself is, and we'll probably get to this in my seven archetype or whatever, but I look at like everything through a positive lens. So my brother and I were are two and a half years apart. He's younger. And we just we look at our childhood experience very differently in a very different light. Like I put a positive ray of sunshine on like everything I realize. And I almost don't sit in the trauma or the emotions or the pain or the suffering. Like I choose to move towards positivity always. So when I reflect like, hmm, no, I definitely had trauma too. I just don't even really focus on it or think about it. Whereas Sandy has it like been defines me by, by <laughs> yeah. it in a, in a good way, in a lot of amazing ways. Like pain drives a lot of things. And, and she always says your mess can become your message. So very different childhoods, but I guess we're the same. Enneagrams. I'm like really surprised we're both a seven. Like I feel like hearing you describe those nine levels the seven does resonate with me, but so does the eight and the two. Mm-hmm. Like I'm definitely a leader too. and I'm definitely a helper. I will do anything for anyone. I will like sacrifice sleep. I will like go out of my way to help people, even if it's not totally in alignment with what's best for me always. So I'm curious because I've heard of like wings before. Is that a, a thing? Yeah. Wings are a thing. So you have your type and then the two numbers on either side of your type are your wings. And some people believe that you're dominant in one wing or the other. I believe very strongly that it takes both wings to fly. Because if you were a bird and you were only flying with one wing, what's going to happen? You're not going to fly. Totally. You go in circles, right? You don't go anywhere. You don't grow. You don't change. You don't move. You just go in circles. So the growth is finding ways to access both wings. How can I make sure I have access or I am properly accessing both wings, both sides of it? So Sandy, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I'm actually pleased that you picked up on that. And 
when I look at your assessment, you scored highest as a seven, but you're really high as an eight also. And it could just be your seven with strong access to your eight. And here's the other thing, you guys. If somebody goes online and they take a free test and they don't know anything about it and they haven't had anyone like put them in the mindset, the right mindset before they take the test, there's a chance that they will mistype, especially with some of the free tests out there. Because there are just there are a lot of tests out there now and a lot of them are not good. There are a few that are really good. The Enneagram Institute has one that's just like 15 bucks. It's inexpensive. And that's the one that I always point people to if they're just sort of armchair enthusiasts and they want to give it a try and they want to jump in, then I send them there. It's called the Ready Test, R-H-E-T-I, and it's the Enneagram Institute. That's a great one. The one you guys took is the one that's widely considered the most accurate and also gives you the most data at the end. So you guys got these reports that are like 27 pages long with all this information about your type. It also, the algorithm, the way it leads you through the questions is different. It was decades of research of them coming up with how to do this. And the one that you guys took is the IEQ9, IEQ9 test. And that's the one you guys took. I rarely will tell someone to retype or retest if they're taking one of those two tests, because for both of those, I can look at the order in which you came up and it's almost always your top score, but there are times when it's your next highest score for you, Wade. I do believe that you're a seven. I believe that you are an SX seven. So Wade, your childhood, especially after the time you turned two and you moved to the East Coast, I just moved from the East Coast to come back to California. I know what that scene is like. I know what raising kids there is like. I know about the intense focus on go Ivy League, get into the best school you possibly can, focus, 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 climb that ladder nothing else matters. We make the conscious decision to move back to California to get our kids out of that scene. It's great for some people, totally works for some people. It was just a bit too focused on that for us. But especially if your parents separated, got back together, separated again, once you left the house, it means that that separation and that back together was all when you guys were under the roof. That's trauma. That's a lot for a kid to deal with. One way that a child will learn to cope is through experience and escaping through experience. And I think that is likely what solidified you as a seven. Sevens use experiences to numb and to escape. When life is hard, when life is boring, when life is gritty and yucky and all uncomfortable and all that stuff, they jump into more and more and more experiences. And the SX7 being that one-to-one focus could be because you watched that breaking apart from your parents and you so desperately wanted to see it that you have that just innately in you to, to create those connections with people, which is a beautiful thing. It allows you to do the work that you do also. You scored pretty high as an eight also. So you probably have very strong access to your eight wing. And as an eight wing or as an eight type, that's the controller. That's the one who can be the boss and say, this is what needs to happen. And here's what needs to change. It probably was an effective tool for you, especially when you were climbing the corporate ladder and working in finance and all that stuff. Like you could be the jerk when you needed to be the jerk and But eights are also very relational. They can be fiery. They can be hot-headed, but they're very relational. Your six wing, though, is much, much, much lower. So this would be a path of growth for you, Wade. I was thinking that. Like when I saw six, I was like, hmm, I'm related to that. It doesn't feel like me. Yeah. So like if I look at your numbers and where you scored, just to show you, this is is a different report than you guys got, but Mm -hmm. this shows here how high you scored in each of the types, here's the six. Mm -hmm. See how little of a six you are accessing right now. So that's growth for you, is leaning into that. What what would it mean to act more like a six in my life? The six is the, the loyal skeptic, right? So they do sit back, but it means they consider things before they jump in. So this is the opposite of what you're used to doing as a seven, or even the blazing the way, bulldozing, as an eight, this is the holding back and considering where might this plan go wrong? What might not play out well? And just sort of considering it all before jumping in. 
You know, it's funny. Anytime anyone's brought up Enneagrams to me, they're like, you're a seven. They're like, I'd love to. What are you? And they're like, oh, you're definitely a seven. They've pretty much always said that, which I agree with. And but I also like when I see three competitive achievement like that, I feel like that defines who I am, what I do. I'm super competitive. I love achieving. I do like the gold star. And so I thought that might be a possibility there, too. And an eight, seven, three and eight are kind of like what I gravitate towards. And those are the three that you scored the highest in. Okay, there it is. <laughs> those are the three that you are accessing most readily. And, you know, there is a little belief that there's a bit of each of them in all of us, and one becomes our dominant. And then it be it stays our dominant. It's not like it changes over time. It stays our dominant. We just get better at accessing our wings and our lines. So the other thing is the lines. Your lines as a seven go towards a one and a five. Now that I'm a little older and wiser... I'm still young at heart. I am looking for my biggest opportunities. I've reframed weaknesses as opportunities. So like like you said, kind of with the six, to sit back and observe and different things. Like I would love to know my opportunities too, because I definitely know my strengths and I play into those, but where can I grow? Where are my opportunities? I don't know if that's where you were going, but that's what's running through my head. Yeah, no, that's exactly where I'm going because that is that's perfect question. That's the the gem of the enneagram. People will complain that the enneagram feels negative to them, and the only reason for that is if all we're doing is patting ourselves on the back for all we're doing well, we're not growing. We have to shine a light in those areas of potential growth or where we could be growing in order to move forward. Right. So your growth will be in your opportunities are accessing that six wing, accessing the six wing by really slowing down and considering things before you jump into an opportunity. Sixes are extremely loyal. Sevens flee. They, they have a tendency to fly when things get too tough. Sevens in a relationship, once they've committed, they can stick. But otherwise, sevens have that tendency to not want to get too deep because as soon as it gets messy, they want to fly off and try something else instead. Sixes, on the other hand, they're going to be skeptical up until the last minute. But then once they decide they commit or they decide someone's worthy of them, they are loyal to the end. So that's something to think about also. How can I lean into my six wing to help me be more thoughtful about opportunities, but also to allow that to be the glue that helps me stick with the things that I know are so important to stick with? Mm -hmm. I think the word skeptical to me is just so opposite of me, which means there in life might be an opportunity. But I think I would probably, in gravitating towards where can I sit more in a six and feel into that it would I'd probably replace skeptic with more the concept of like okay really sit back and sit into something and think about it and feel it and process it and then once you know where I end up through that process like loyal stick to that once I'm there and I think there's there's definitely some of that in me as I've become an entrepreneur, I've become more like, I know I just got to take action, take action. But before entrepreneurship, I do think I really kind of plan or think through something and like, what's the best path forward? Let me think through this. This is the way, okay, I'm going that way. So I think there is some of that in me and I can definitely tap into it, but that is super helpful. Yeah, that's good. And it's just the the access to it, right? The acknowledging that this is a part of me and this is helpful to me as an individual is half the work right there. Because when we have blinders on and we're unwilling to see the fact that we could use some work, we could make some changes, that's that's when we're not going to be growing at all. I think a part of me is like, this is helpful. And uh, you know, I think as humans, but I think me too, like, okay, I want to focus on my strengths. Where's the good here? But it will take work to be like, where's the opportunity here? But a part of me too is like, I also don't want to put myself in a box. Like, I don't want to label myself this and just be like, I'm this. Because I think I have the ability to be or lean into, I guess, any one of these or, or like, so how do you think about that? Someone who's like, maybe a skeptic there, like, I don't want to put myself in a box with this Enneagram. Let me paint a tiny picture for you with that. I'm an Enneagram four. Fours intensely want to be different. 
It's why I have such a hard time jumping into something that other people are doing. Because I'm like, well, if I just do what other people are doing, it then I'm just like them and I don't want to be just like anybody else. Which is weird because I was not the kid who like tried to stand out necessarily, but I desperately wanted to be different. And part of it was probably just my hippie upbringing and all that stuff as well. So as a four, the worst thing in the world is to be put in a box with other people and be told you're just like all of them. And even as a four, I don't feel like I'm in a box with other people who are just like me. Maybe it's just the way I choose to look at it. I choose to look at it as, okay, this is an opportunity to see my strengths and see all these areas for potential growth, all these areas where I can work against my tendency to relive past hurts. I can work against my tendency to worry about what other people are thinking about me. These are all things that are just specific to a four. So these are things for me. It's not about being in a box. It's all about getting out of that box because the healthiest version of you is not going to be the version of you that's just so seven up and down that anybody on the street says, oh, you must be a seven. The healthiest version of you is the version where someone's like, whoa, I don't know. You're so well integrated. That's that's what it's called, levels of integration. As you you grow and you become more aware and you you change, it's these levels of integration. When you're more highly integrated, you're not so stuck in just being such a seven. I love it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to unwrap Sandy. I think she's like this beautiful rose petal that has so many amazing layers. And as I peel it back, I'm like, wow. And I'm still learning every day. <laughs> See, that's the beauty of a marriage too. You do. You get to just keep learning over time. And and I also say that that's sort of what the Enneagram should feel like. When you read your results, it should feel like someone is revealing your soul. Like it should feel like someone peeled back these layers and you're like, oh my gosh, nobody ever got me like this before. Did it feel like that for you, Sandy, when you read yours? Honestly, not like really, like a little bit, but I feel like I know myself so well that I just wasn't surprised by a lot of this. But like it is validating. Like it's like, yep, yep, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. But I wasn't like surprised at it or anything like that. In my mind, there's still a question. And just for people listening, these guys just took their assessment yesterday. So we haven't had a chance to go through it. But this is part of like when I'm coaching someone through the Enneagram, this is what I do. They take their assessment and then we'll spend a while like really looking at it does this feel right? Does this sit with you? And if there are some ties in there, then I'll ask a series of leading questions to try to get at what might it be instead. So, you know, like we already talked about, you ha- you scored really high as a seven, you scored also really high as an eight. And without knowing that, you called out the fact that as I was describing each of the nine, eight also felt very true to you and two felt very true to you. The reason I am questioning whether you're a seven is because I can see some things on your report and things that may suggest that you paint a rosy picture when there is still some some pain and some struggle going on. But instead of meeting that struggle head first, you would prefer to just experience life and you know have fun, enjoy life, create opportunities, all of that stuff. And if indeed you are an eight, an eight would be better served to address it, to just get at the heart of it so that then you can be truly free to go and experience these other things and create opportunities in a more authentic way. There was a few questions that I like clicked on and then I like reread it like two or three or four times and like really had to think about it. And I'm like, I'd be thinking about a a specific instance, like something I'm going through right now and then be like, okay, wait, zoom out, like bigger picture, like how do you answer this? And so I definitely overthought a few questions. Like I know I I feel like there was one that I was like hung up on about like relationships or like if you're in a conflict with someone, like do you just address it head on? My childhood self, this moment something bothers me, I will immediately confront you. Like there's no bullshit. But as I've gotten older and more mature, I've learned that if I don't think before I speak, that can really hurt people's feelings or it can get me in big trouble. That was like a question. There was a few questions around that where I was like, how do I honestly answer this? Because my inner soul wants – I don't want to be confrontational, 
but I kind of am. I don't know if something bothers me. Like I want to be like, wait, what did you mean by that? Like I want to just call it out right then and there, but I don't, I kind of resist that. I don't love that about myself. I mean, I do love that because when other people can do that, I'm like, damn, that boss ass bitch like knows what they want. Like I respect that. But when I see myself do it, I judge myself. So I don't know if any of the things in the test, like were maybe around if you can tell what questions they were around, but I felt like some of those kind of tripped me up a little bit. Yeah. So I can't see what you answered on any particular questions, but that to me very much speaks that you are more of an eight. You've learned to adapt and you show up as a seven. So you answered from the place of I've learned to adapt. You know how I mentioned that I mistyped at the beginning? I mistyped as a two. And when I first took the test, I was in a place of my kids were young. I was just, you know, I was like, I was in mom mode. I was just in mom mode and I was running them around and figuring out what was wrong with them and all that stuff and helping at school. And, oh, I love it. I love it. I love that I get to help everybody. I love that I get to help at school and answered from that place. That's adapted behavior. That's behavior. That's not motivation. So the next time I took an assessment, I knew more. I knew more about it. I knew to pause on those questions and say, what would the 10-year-old me have done? What would the 20-year-old me have done? Because that was from pure motivation of just who I am at my core instead of how I've learned to show up as an adult in the world. So the second time I took the test, when questions would come up, I would say, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I can do this because I'm an able and well-equipped adult who can do this. But No, the child in me would have always answered this way. And the true person inside me would want to answer this way always. It's just that I've learned to adapt my behavior and answer this other way. So when I really knew what I was doing and took the test the second time, that's when it came back as a four. And then when I read those results, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, somebody is seeing straight through to my soul. I never even knew somebody could understand a person like this. And that's what it felt like. Should I retake it? Do you think? Possibly. It suggested to me, and if we had had a little more time, I would have had you do it before, but it suggested to me just based on a couple things that you would be a person to retake. And again, I've never once had that happen. It's never come back that it suggested that somebody should retake. But even without doing that, there are a couple questions that I want to ask you. So if you had to describe yourself, would you say that you're more serious and intense or are you more fun loving and spontaneous and again give it a second this is not just sandy of sandy and wade sandy of all the things you do today this is you and who you've always been that is like a very hard question for me to answer because i'm very intense i don't feel like i'm serious but the other one was what fun loving and and spontaneous i'm like can i merge the two like i feel like i'm intense and fun loving <laughs> I guess between the two, I probably am more serious and intense because when I'm like on a topic or if I am passionate about something, like I will be very, very, very serious and to the point and intense and I will like fight to the death and like that's probably my core. I don't love that. So that's I don't always you know, I would have said fun loving and spontaneous. But that's all but that's day. like the surface, Sandy. Like there's so many parts of Sandy. And I think especially just because I've known you more so in the past five, six, seven years, I think that's what I've seen probably then. And maybe it morphs, I don't know, but that is interesting. Hearing you say some of this stuff, I do feel like I answered it maybe unconsciously, but like not thinking of it, but of a space of like how I want to be, not really how I like truly, truly at my core am. You know, the other part of it is you are a leader in your business and people look to you. And as leaders, people tend to put on the clothes of the leader. Like, this is what people need to see in me. This is what people need to hear from me. This is how they need to see me behaving so that they'll stay motivated. They'll keep going. And all of that leans more towards I want to show up as a seven because I want to be creative and spontaneous and fun loving and all this stuff because that is magnetic. That's magnetic. But if at your core, maybe there is some intensity that's still there. For eights, intensity is not always a negative thing also. 
And eight's motto sometimes is there can never be enough of a good thing. So when something is good, they want more of that also. Eights have that that tendency that sevens do right there of this is good. I want more of it. So there's similarity there as well. Okay, so next question. Do you process most experiences more through your mind? Or do you think you process experiences in life through your gut and through your body? My gut and my body. For sure. That one is like a very true or 100%. That is 100% an eight. Sevens are in their head. They're thinking about things. When something bothers them, they might go for a new experience, but it's because they're thinking about it. Eights, it's all about that feeling in your gut and whether it feels right or not, and you respond based on that. Eights are in that gut triad. So they have easy access to the emotion of anger, but they also, once that that feeling in their gut clears, then they clear also. So life is either easy or you feel it in your gut and you respond that way. That's very much innate. Yeah, I, I feel things physically in my body like all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's innate. Eights process everything through their body. Their body is their tuning fork. I'm in my head, but I have the eight wing because I'm learning from Sandy really to go with gut and go with intuition and instinct more than to sit and think about it. But I have the opportunity of a six to sit and think of things more. So I guess I'm learning it all as I go. If indeed Sandy is an eight, we'll go to what her other wing is right now. But the cool thing is because if we decide Sandy is an eight, then you're a seven and an eight. So you're right next to each other and the circle, and you share each other as wings. So you can learn from each other so much all the time. It will work so well. You'll get to play off of each other. You'll understand each other really well in in a way that someone who is in the, the heart triad was married to one of you. It might be harder to understand. You guys will understand each other well, just by nature, the fact that seven and eight are right next to each other and you share each other as a wing. Okay, last one. Do you think you are more of a realistic person or an optimistic person? And not what do other people think? Because the second part of that would be, do other people agree with that? So you know what other people see you as. What do you think you are? I think I'm optimistic because I don't resonate with the word realistic. I really don't like it. When people are like, that's not realistic. I'm like, nothing in my life has ever been realistic. Like, I don't know. I feel like realistic is just like a kind of a pathetic word. Like no one wants a realistic life. You know, like that's kind of boring. I don't know. I would say I'm more optimistic. (laughs) Wait, I want to touch on that though. Because I think when something has already happened, it's real. So what is realistic? It's like it's Yeah, maybe I'm not thinking of the definition of the word. I think when Sandy thinks of the future, she's resists realistic. That's what I'm thinking. She's like, no, I can create beyond extraordinary, beyond ordinary. But I think historically, it is real. It's realistic because it's already happened. It, it's real. But I so, would say she's not realistic. I guess it depends. She's full on. So if opposite. I'm thinking of my past, then it's probably like more realistic because that has happened, right? But how do you think though, right? Like, are you? would you say you're more realistic or more? I feel like I'm more optimistic. Op- so I would say optimistic for sure as her spouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as someone who's only known you for a few months, I would say optimistic also. Eights tend to be more real life. They deal with things that are of this world. They they can see struggle around them and they have access to it. They have eyes to see it. Whereas sevens have the tendency to not even want to see the struggle. They might see the struggle and then turn on their heel and go the other way. Eights would see the struggle and just acknowledge the fact that that's real life. It doesn't mean that eights don't have optimism. I'm married to an eight. He's one of the like happiest guys I know and is an incredibly personable person. I always say he's a better friend to people than I can ever hope to be because he just remembers the details of people's lives and stuff like that. So it's not like an eight is pessimist. It's not the opposite of an optimist, right? It's just also a realist. And what you know, what is real world and being able to deal in the real world? Got it. Okay. I feel like I really resonate with seven and eight. Okay, so then with the wing, if I was an eight, the wing would be nine, the peacemaker, right? Yeah, my mom is a nine. 
So peacemaker is, you know, they're the ones who can put themselves aside to make the next person happy. Nines can get into trouble when they don't consider their own needs. I don't see that for you. I don't see that getting you into trouble necessarily. Let's see how you scored. You scored fairly high on your nine, decently high. And then of course, high on your seven. So, but that would be a path of growth for you is how else can I lean into the nine? How maybe sometimes I don't need to say everything I'm thinking. Maybe sometimes I can, you know, let, let things sit aside sort of and, and go with the flow just for the sake of keeping the peace. That would be part of the nine. But the other thing I want to say with you, Sandy, is so those are the wings. And then there are the lines. And Wade asked the question of, I want to know where the opportunity is for me in this. Okay, so see those lines, those arrows, and how they go in different directions, and how each type has lines going in in different directions. So for a seven, for Wade especially, and possibly for you still, Sandy, the lines go towards a one and a five. And One of them will be your growth and one of them will be where you go in times of stress and where you push yourself to go in growth. But both of them you should focus on as they're almost like your board of directors. So let's use Wade as the example because we're definitely sure he's a seven. So you have two other Wades who sit on your board of directors and those guys are really awesome, but one of them's a one and one of them's a five. So the one as the perfectionist is the guy who can see where things might be off and fix it. And the five is the quiet specialist. So that's the one who really holds back and says, let me let me get really specific on this and make sure I know what I'm talking about before I jump into it. They're on your board of directors. So when you're facing a decision, when you're stuck and you can't figure out what to do, when you're struggling about something, when you're trying to overcome something, any of those moments where just like being in your normal flow isn't quite working, that's when you go to your lines and you say, okay, here are other access points for me. These are other ways that I can do me better. So this is your opportunity. Right. Okay. So that's so I don't naturally gravitate towards a one and a five, but they're on my board of directors because it might be blind spots or things that I can't see. So if I can acknowledge, hey, one, hey, five part of me, let me sit in this in making this decision. Is that kind of how to think about it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. I love boards of directors. For, I know. We all need our own board of directors. So you could say like, all right, what would the one me do? And what would the five me do? Okay. That gives me more data and now I have more data that I can use to solve this problem, to get out of this bind, whatever it is, just as you're struggling through some sort of dilemma. Love it. So cool, right? I'm excited to dive deeper into this. Yeah. I know. There's so much. There's so much. There are your conflict styles, your communication styles, like all this stuff. There's so much information. Let's do this for Sandy really quickly. So as an eight, here's the other reason that I think you might be an eight, not a seven. And ultimately, and I want to say this for people who are listening also, ultimately the decision is yours. You are the only one who really knows what you feel in your gut. You're the only one who knows what you feel in your heart. You're the only one who knows what's going on in your mind. So every single person can take an assessment. They can work with a coach. They can work with a guide. They can work with someone who knows what they're talking about, but ultimately it's still on you to decide, yes, this is the one. And it sort of feels like that puzzle piece falling into place when you land on it. It should feel like, oh yeah, I nailed it. I nailed it. I got it. This is me. Now I can grow. Now I can learn from this. But as an eight, your lines are to a five. So you guys have that in common and to a two. And you already said that the two resonates with you so much. The two is the helper. The two is the one who leans in and helps. But I'm pretty sure the two is where you go in times of stress. But one of them is where you'll go by default more. And the other one is where you push yourself to go more. But the two is leaning in to help people and just having easy, ready access to that benevolent heart, that generous spirit, all of that stuff. And then the five is the quiet specialist that's being willing to sit back even out of the noise, out of the crowd, maybe even out of the pace of what you want to be doing to really consider everything before you keep moving forward, especially important at times of life is about to change. 
to not just go with it and not just allow the changes to happen, but to do the work, to spend the time to sit back and say, okay, how can I be intentional and maybe even cautious about this so that it serves me best down the road? Mm-hmm. The more I hear about it, the more I do feel like I'm an eight. Mm-hmm. Seven's my favorite number, so I want it to be a seven, but it's fine. That's <laughs> right. You're married to a seven. That's right. And you have a seven wing. This is amazing. There are so many beautiful eight women in my life. Before I knew much, I pictured eights as just them being these tough men. But I have so many beautiful eight women in my life. And I think we need more eight females or we need females who are eights to own it and say, I am strong and I know when to speak up when something's wrong and I know how to push forward. I know how to be the boss. I know how to form things and enhance things and just all that stuff. Like go out there, do it. And that that's an eight. That's awesome. I can imagine how it's really great in a marriage or partnership to know like what your significant other's Enneagram is. But I also could see it like in work settings or team settings, like, wow, like you could lead, facilitate groups or teams in such a beautiful way. If everyone understood what everyone was and you understood what makes people tick and what makes people thrive and all of that stuff. Totally. So I do work with companies where I'll work, especially with the CEO to really understand himself so he can understand why his communication style is maybe not working, stuff like that, or a small team so that they each just what you said, Sandy, so they each understand what lens they are looking through and what ears they're hearing through, but how it's different from all these other people who they need to be able to communicate with. They need to be able to work alongside and rely heavily on and all of that. So another interesting thing about you guys, and this is just based on how you answered the question. So this isn't necessarily dependent on your type. So even if, Sandy, it feels right to you that you are an eight instead of a seven, this still based on the way you answer questions, your interaction style, how you get what you want in a situation for each of you is by being assertive. So for some people, it's being compliant or some people it's being withdrawn. They're the fawn types, right? Or even the flight types, but you're the fight types. So if you want something, you'll go after it. And both of you answered really high, weighed a little bit more so than Sandy, but you both answered really high in that. So just being aware of that, that that's how you get what you want is to be assertive. But even being willing to ask yourself, is that always the best way? Are there situations where maybe everyone would be better served if I weren't so assertive? Just understanding that you're assertive. And are there people in your life even who could be rubbed the wrong way by that? So just another way to see opportunity. And then the final thing is your conflict style for each of you. This is where you go when you're in conflict with someone. Each of you, it's positive outlook. So for some people, it might be competency or reactive. For the reactive people, they fight when there's conflict. For the competency people, they're like, no, 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 I understand. Here's what happened. And they just want to show up really competent. But for you guys, both of you, it's painting a rosy picture. It's positive outlook. It's no, 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 things are fine. They're going to be fine. They're going to get better and all of that. I was thinking about this morning when I was preparing to talk to you guys and I was thinking about for sevens and for sevens, there's this tendency, especially to want to numb and to escape the pain. And that is that positive outlook thing. That's exactly what that is, is escaping the pain and numbing out and uh, even faking good in some situations. And the real growth or often the work of a seven is to be willing to live in that struggle, to be willing to recognize that life gets hard. It does. It gets messy. It gets gritty. But to stay in it and to experience it rather than finding a way to numb out or escape. Mm. That's a huge opportunity for me. (laughs) It definitely is. Question, are there certain numbers that don't like connect or resonate? Like I feel like there's certain people that like really annoy me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like just like hit a chord with me like when they're really needy or they're like, need information that I'm like, you could Google that. Or like, why are you? That wasting- is so an eight. That is <laughs> an eight. Oh my gosh. That's like textbook eight. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because I'm like, does anyone else ever get annoyed with other people? And then I'm wondering, is this an Enneagram thing where maybe our Enneagrams just aren't aligned or maybe it's just who I am? 
It's funny you say that. I feel like you ask me a lot of things and in my, I always answer it. But in my head, I'm like, she could easily find that answer. But she just asked me, like, she stops what I'm doing. I'm like working. And I'm like, oh, let me just spell that for you. Yeah. That's very much innate. They don't want to be bothered by that stuff. And yeah, it's irritating, right? So that right there is an opportunity of, for growth for you, though, is to just recognize that, to not sit back on is this something broken in me? Is this just something about me that other people don't struggle with? But instead say, this is an opportunity for growth. I I am no longer going to let it annoy the crap out of me when someone seems incompetent or when someone seems to struggle where I think things should be easy. But to instead say, all right, this is an opportunity for me to soften, for me to access my two line and to just help them. Because a two, when someone shows incompetency or need, a two feeds right into that. That's like their happy place for a two. So that could be a way to access your two line is in those situations. Wow. This has all been just so fun. We're so thankful for your time. And obviously, I want to direct people to be able to go to your website and take this extensive test that we did. Outside of that, is there additional resources like, I don't know, any great podcasts or any great books or other things on Enneagram that if someone's new to this or they want to learn more that they should pick up? Yeah, there are so many great, there are great podcasts. Enneagram and Coffee is a really good one to follow on Instagram. She's great. I would caution against, there's hilarious videos and hilarious memes that are out there about Enneagram types. And to your point earlier, Wade, about being put in a box, that's what those do because it's such a short, teeny tiny little snippet or view of how an eight deals with doing the laundry, how a seven deals with doing the laundry, things like that. So they're hilarious, but it doesn't define you. So don't let that stop you. There are great podcasts. I would say one of the best books is this book called The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Crone. It's excellent. He has a podcast also. His podcast, I think, is one of the best ones out there. Typology is the name of his podcast. So this is the Enneagram journey to self-discovery. It will help someone who has kind of an idea of what they might be, but then to solidify that. This book helped me a lot when I was struggling between am I what I typed as first that doesn't feel right to me, or am I what I just typed as that felt feels way more real to me. So that was when I was going through that. The other book that came out right after that one is The Path Between Us. And this is similar, but this is more for relationships. So like you can see, I have post-its in here because I reference these books all the time. I reference them for myself and I reference them for my clients and all that. Those are basically the ones. The other one that is good is this one. This is the Essential Enneagram. There's another organization called the Narrative Enneagram that does an assessment that is more narrative. It's like, read these paragraphs, which one feels right, then read these and these. And this book kind of takes you through that journey. So that's another interesting one. It's just a little thin paperback thing. So the essential Enneagram is that one. And then, like you said, if you go to my website, which is sarahsnow.com, there's a link you can click to take the assessment and then even book a download session with me. So then we can do exactly what we, the three of us just did, where we deep dive, decide if the results feel right. What does it mean for you? What are your paths of growth? What are the opportunities for you going forward? I love that. This has been an amazing dive into us and understanding ourselves better. And for anyone, yeah, anyone out there listening, if you want to, if this has inspired you to to dive into yourself more, understand yourself more, Sarah, you, you just kind of answered it. But yeah, final question is the best, where's the best place to connect with you? Is that your website? And for someone looking, we'll drop the links in the show notes, but looking to take that test, where do they find it? How do they work with you? You kind of just answered it, but to drive it home. Yeah, my website, sarahsnow.com. You can click a link to take an assessment and book a session to go through it. For somebody who just, you know, doesn't necessarily want to work with a person, you could go to the Enneagram Institute, their website, enneagraminstitute.com, and take an assessment there. You also can get in touch with me through my website and Instagram is the other good place. And I am at the Sarah Snow on Instagram and Facebook. Amazing. So good. We are so appreciative of your time and your energy and just creating this space with us. This was so fun to peel back the layers and kind of better understand. And I feel like we'll talk about this offline, but I might need to retake the test. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, we can talk about it. And it also might be that I can point you to a couple resources to read 
And retaking the test so quickly might feel confusing. So it might just be reading and we kind of go deep and, and figure it out. But we'll get you figured out for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Have an amazing day. You guys too. This is an honor. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Bye. Okay, that blew my mind. Everything about it. <laughs> so good. It was amazing. And I love that we got to share that with you guys live. Like as you went through that with us, you know, Wade and I both typed as a seven, I think seven SX one. Yes. And after we stopped the recording, Sarah and I talked for like 45 minutes on a call. And I was like, you know what? Like after everything you said, like, I don't think I'm a seven. And she asked me so many more questions and we fully pulled back the layers and realized like I'm 100% an eight. So it was just funny because that whole time we're sitting here thinking Wade and I are both sevens. And like she said, it's very untypical to need to like retest, but I'm an eight. You're not typical, baby. I am not typical. You're not typical. Yeah. You're definitely an eight. And it's pretty cool. And I think sevens and eights complement each other. They do. There we go. I want to know what you guys are. Yes. I want to hear what your experience is from taking this test, going through the process, learning more about you. And, you know, like Sarah said in that episode, she's like, when you read the description, you should feel like your soul's being revealed. And remember when she asked me that, I was like, I'm not really like, I didn't want to lie. I was like, I don't feel that way. But when I read the description for an eight, my soul's being revealed. I think it's so crucial. It's such a great way to go deep with inside yourself and get to know yourself better and how you approach the world and, and what your strengths are. And as we talk through there, what your opportunities are. So just an amazing exercise, call to action, check the show notes, go in there. We drop some links for you to take your own Enneagram test. There are different varying levels and it goes up to as much as you can work with Sarah to work through what your Enneagram is and understand that and understand yourself from that perspective. So amazing. Check that out. And you know what? When you take it, what if you share it on social media, share it tag us, tag Getting Magnetic. That'd be really cool to see what all you guys are. Who are my sevens out there? Who are Sandy's eights? And as always, we appreciate you guys so much. We see you guys tagging Getting Magnetic and tagging us on social media. And it's just so amazing to see this community come together and meet every week here on a podcast. So awesome. And we are grateful. And we're grateful for all of you that have left reviews and that leave comments. So don't forget rate, subscribe, review, share it on social media. That's what keeps this podcast going. So thank you guys. Have an awesome day. Only those that can see the invisible can do the impossible. So remember, you are magnetic.